Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Today is also the last day for the baby socks contribution. If you want to get those in, I'm not sure exactly when Dawn's going to be sending them, but uh, if you haven't had opportunity yet, you can still do that today. All right, as you can see from your little sheet there, we're going to talk about glory. And thank you, Jim, for the songs. The word glory is used in several different ways in Scripture, but they can all be traced back to a root idea of something that is of weighty importance. Uh, a person or a thing which is seen to be of great importance is seen to have glory or to be deserving glory. The Hebrew word kevod, if that's pronounced correctly, means heavy in weight. Heavy. So heavy stuff and heavy people, big people, are seen to have glory. God, of course, has glory, doesn't he? And uh, we uh, have all heard the term uh, and depicted in Scripture. I don't think that the term Shekinah glory is actually used in Scripture, but uh, especially in the Old Testament around the tabernacle, the glory of God filled the temple, the glory of God filled the tabernacle, and so forth, and uh, came down in that the people were able to, to see, if you will, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the, the, uh, the glowing, glowingness of God, the beauty of God. However, that's depicted in bright light, and I don't know that bright light is, is, is enough to say as we speak about the glory of God. Others, uh, others in Scripture are seen as having glory. Of course, Christ Jesus in the New Testament is mentioned as having glory. Kings are mentioned as having glory. They're weighty people. Solomon, uh, remember Jesus talked about the lilies of the field, and he said even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Uh, the Old and New Covenants in Hebrews are talked about as being glorious, and also Paul talks about them as being glorious in the Corinthian letter. So glory is something we kind of depict in our minds, something dazzling, bright, white, bright light, and something just uh, that over, is overwhelming. The, the Bible class teacher was talking about heaven and life eternal and things like that, and uh, she said to the class, how many of you want to go to heaven and see the glories of heaven. And all the kids raised their hand except one. And she looked at the little boy in the corner and she says, Tommy, don't you want to see the glories of heaven? And he said, well, yes, but my mom said to come straight home after Bible class. <laughs> so he, he couldn't go right then. Uh, he had to do what mom said. So we're going to talk about God's glory this morning. We're going to be with Moses on the mountain there in Exodus 33 and 34, and I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. 
Because we're going to talk about what gives God glory. What is it that is weighty about God that gives him glory? And I, when I said that, you probably had something pop in your head, in your mind, that you said, well, it must be this. And if you didn't, I want you to just think about it for a couple seconds. That's enough. Okay. What do you think gives God his glory? And it, I'm going to guess that for most people, there's a couple of things that come to mind. And as we work our way through this, you might be surprised at what God says about himself that gives him glory. And I think it's probably something that, that we've missed you know, we've seen the times they've just been going with tradition and things we've been told and not really digging into the scripture and seeing what it says. But anyway, we're going to talk about Moses here in Exodus 33. Moses comes face to face with God's glory in a big way. Okay? Uh, he was very close to God. He was called by God uh, at the burning bush. And he'd seen a lot already. So uh, here's the background in Exodus 33. Uh, they've already come out of captivity. They've already been at Sinai. Moses has been on the mountain a couple of times. Uh, and the last time he was up there getting the, the law, the people were at the foot of the mountain doing the golden calf thing, if you remember, and the idol and so forth. And uh, he had to come down and destroy that and cause them to, to drink the, the uh, gold in the water and so forth. And now uh, God is kind of saying, okay, I'm done with you people already. And Moses is pleading with him, no, you, you need to go with us, and we want you to go with us, and we want your presence to be with us. So that's kind of where we're at, and, and God and Moses are having conversation again. So let's look at Exodus 33 and 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I've known you by name. And so what he's talking about specifically is I want you to continue. I'm going to continue to go with you through this wilderness and my presence will go with you. So Moses has uh, pled with God again about something and God has agreed to do what Moses said. And I, I think it's important kind of just an aside here in the lesson to understand that God can be entreated and persuaded. Because he wasn't going to go. He wasn't going to continue. And Moses said, no, you need to go with us. We, unless, unless you go with us, you know, it's a waste of time. And so God says here, yes, I will go. So I don't know how many of you in prayer have pleaded, pled with God to do something. I expect most of you have. And I pray that your prayers are such that you will plead with God about things that need to be changed, things that need to be different, whether it's your life, the congregation, somebody you know, the country, that you will plead with God because God will listen to the prayer of the righteous person. Well, then in verse 18, Moses gets very bold. At least I think he gets bold. And then Moses said, I pray you... Show me your glory. That's where we got the title for the lesson. Show me your glory. 
You know, Moses had already, you've seen the burning bush. He said, I got to turn aside, see this great sight, this bush that is burning, but it's not consumed. It just stays there. And then, of course, he had seen all the plagues, the ten plagues in Egypt, all those wonders that God performed, and many of them by the hand of Moses. And uh, then when they left, uh, the, the Red Sea uh, was parted, and they went across on dry ground, and they've had the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day and all these wonders. But Moses isn't satisfied. Moses thinks there's more. That, you know, these are all things just that God did. Okay? They're all things that God caused to happen. And Moses wants to go deeper. He says, show me your glory. In other words, what are you really about, God? Who really are you? And you say, this kind of gets to the essence of the, uh, of the Christian walk and what God wants us to do. It's not just about things and actions and what God can do for me. That's why I have John 17 there and Jesus in his prayer there before he faced the cross. I'm People call it the high priestly prayer. I don't know if that's uh, appropriate or not. But listen to what Jesus says in the 24th verse there. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, speaking particularly about the apostles, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of of the world. Wow. There must be something to seeing the glory of God. He says, I want them to see my glory. Kind of gives you a little bit of shiver, doesn't it? But it's, it's what God is moving us to, to do and to see in eternal life eternal, to be with God. And to see the glory of Christ. I don't know what Moses hoped to see, but he's just inquiring. He says, Lord God, he says, show me your glory. God's response, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, but this is, what, this is how it's going to work. There's two things here. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord. They're not, they're inseparable. As we've seen so many times, the name of a person represents the person, their nature and their character, right? The name stands for the person. And so when God proclaims the name of the Lord, he is proclaiming who he is. This is me, okay? Here is the essence of the weightiness of God. What's he say? I will make all my goodness pass before you. 
And he's going to we're going to hear about that when it, this actually happens in the next chapter. Now, a few minutes ago, I asked you to say, okay, what do you think gives God glory? How many of you thought of his goodness? You see? We probably thought he's all-powerful, right? That's what we, when we say all-knowing, omniscient, knows everything. He's eternal, maybe. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. All true. But we're going to see when God declares himself, he's not talking about how powerful he is or how much he knows, but how good he is. We should start thinking about God in those terms. This is what gives God glory, his goodness. Verse 20, there's a disclaimer here. God says, okay, I'll do that. I'll have my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, but. But Moses, I love you, but. What's he say? But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. We have an old song that we sing that kind of alludes to that, although I kind of think it doesn't use it in the right way, but nevertheless. He said, Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I take this to mean that God is so holy, so good, so righteous compared with any human being that we just cannot look on his face or we would die. And I think this tells us, you know, how far separated we are from the holiness and the purity of God. And it, it should stir us up as we consider all the warnings in Scripture about sin and doing evil and wickedness and bad thoughts and all that that how far apart those set us from God. Because he is that pure and that good. And then it should also cause us to breathe a sigh of relief to know that he still wants us, he still loves us, and he gave us Jesus so that we could be forgiven, receive the righteousness of Christ, and come into his presence. But once again, it's not because of what we do, of how good we are, but how good God is and what he did through Jesus to allow that to happen. That ought to humble us even more. So, you know, all of this causes us to think about God, his purity and his goodness. It's even beyond our knowledge. To, to comprehend a being, our God, 
not tainted, shall we say, one iota, one, one hair, one speck of dust with any kind of evil or wickedness? None. Not an evil thought ever in the mind of God? You can't comprehend that. But this is our God. And again, this should cause us to think why he wants us to move in that direction, to go on to perfection, to, to think good things, to do good things, to become like him, to have that image of God restored in us. Because that is the only way we will have the abundant life and really have the joy that God wants us to have. Because we were made to live without sin. Sin, sin just hurts us in so many ways. It, it just drags us down. If nothing else, it just causes us to have a long face and, and to hate life and to be miserable. God doesn't want us to be that way. All right. So Moses presents himself to God on Sinai. Uh, he's told here in the first part of 34, go back down, cut a couple more tablets. I'm going to write that law again. And so Moses does that, and he comes back up. Let's look at verse 5. I don't have that there, but let's start with 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And I think the footnote there says as he speaks the name of the Lord, which I think is probably uh, he called out with the name of the Lord. I think that's a better translation there. I think it's God talking. He's saying, you know, here's my name. He's calling out the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God. So what does Moses see and what does he hear? This is, I, can't, I can't comprehend this. Can you comprehend this? Being alone, he, he told him in verse 3, no man should come up with you. Nobody else. Nobody. Just you, Moses. Being alone on a mountain with God. And God's going to show you his glory. Wow. Just, just these, these things are in the scripture, you know, not for us just to read and say, oh, yeah, that happened, but for us to ponder and meditate, this really happened. What does Moses think he's going to see? You know, and we're actually not really told what he saw. Dazzling, bright, glory, white light, I we don't see that. What does it say? Verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. All right, now here again is God talking about himself. Did you ever have somebody uh, you uh, were just getting to know? Maybe a new employee at work, or you're a new employee at work, or new neighbor. You know, tell me about yourself. You know, we ask questions. Uh, you know, where, where are you from? Uh, what do you like to do? Uh, you have an education? You know, things like that. You have any children? Are you married? You know, we ask all these things, right? 
Well, here is God kind of answering Moses' question. God is saying, this is me. This is me. He's declaring the name of the Lord. Pass by and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God. Here I am, the Lord God. That's probably in the original Yahweh. What's he going to say? Compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. There's what God says about himself. He doesn't say, I'm all powerful. I'm the creator. I made everything you see and don't see. And I can take you out with just like a, just a little thought in my mind. No, that's not God. That's not what he says about himself. Moses has said, show me your glory. Moses says to God, show me what you, who you are. And God does. And this is here for us. He's compassionate. That's the first thing he says about himself. Wow. You see God as being compassionate? Concerned about people? Touched with their situations? Having a heart that's concerned? Gracious. Yes. Showing favor to people. Doing good things for people. People that don't deserve it. He's gracious. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. We know he had uh, situations with Israel. But he was very patient with Israel. There were times he said, I want to get rid of them. Moses says, no, no, you don't want to do that, God. Long-suffering is another word we might use. He says, abounding in loving kindness. Abounding in loving kindness. Your translation might, there might have steadfast love or even mercy. The Hebrew word hesed. It's a big word. Lots of meaning. But God says, this is me. I'm merciful. I love people. I'm kind. My love doesn't stop. Remember John wrote, God is love. And then abounding in truth, or some translations have faithfulness, the same idea that God is truthful, he's faithful. If he says something, he will do it. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's faithful. And what he says comes to pass. It's the truth. You can't lie. Like I said, I don't know what Moses expected to see or hear, but this is what God gave him. This is me, he says, the Lord, the Lord God. I really think we need to start seeing our God this way, that this is who he is. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth or faithfulness. This is God. But he's not done. Verse 7. Who keeps loving kindness 
for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Maybe this is the part we always remember, the latter part. Yeah, yeah, he'll get you. Well, I think that's only after all of his love, patience, loving kindness, slow to being slow to anger or exhausted. Then, all right, you won't turn to me. You won't ask forgiveness. You won't change your ways. You must, you must suffer. But he says, I keep loving kindness for thousands. I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. All right? So there we have, you know, if we look at this in the right way, there's people guilty before God, right? We saw that word guilty there later on in that verse. But what's he say? I forgive. I will forgive iniquity. I'll forgive transgression and sin. I will do that. You know, he understands who he made. The word does. He says, I'll forgive. The guilty, though, see, in, in my mind, and as I see the context, the guilty are those who do not ask for forgiveness and do not turn to God. He says, okay, you want to continue in your wicked ways and your evil ways? There will be punishment. And why does God do that? He does it for two reasons. First of all, because he's good. And he can't just let evil continue. All right? Because that's who he is. And secondly, the punishment is always seen as something that is supposed to be redemptive. To get the person to change. Give them a taste of something that's bad or harsh. To get them to turn back to God. For them to say, hey, you know, if I don't serve God, these are the things that happen. Also, we're told here, I think, you know, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren, that's to tell us, the present generation dealing with God, you know, if you don't do the right thing, live the right way, rear your children in the right way, your children, your grandchildren, and others are going to suffer. It's not simply going to be you. And that should be a great motivator for us, shouldn't it? And when you bring evil into your house and it becomes a way of life, that that continues on with generations to come. And you've often heard about the idea of somebody's, somebody's got to be the stopper. Somebody's got to end something that has come into their family, whether it's you know drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or some other kind of a problem. That somebody has got to stand up in that household and say, this is it. We aren't doing this anymore. Because it will continue 
once it's introduced. So that's all God is saying here. There is an effect here that you need to be aware of. But this is our God. This is our God, and this is how he presented himself to Moses. Compassionate. Full of loving kindness. Truthful. Patient. This is our God. This is the God whom we serve, and this is the kind of people that God wants us to be. Because we are made in his image aren't we? All right. Let's wrap this up. Exodus 34, 8, and 9. Moses here makes a threefold response to what he sees and hears. Notice again, there's not much here about, you know, he said the glory of God passed by, but we're not told what that was, right? And it really isn't about the dazzling glory white light or anything. It's about the person of God once again. It's about the person of God because we are to be in that fellowship with him. Anyway, Exodus 34, 8 and 9. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray. Let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. And I think that response today is the right response even for us when we come to realize who God is. Whether it's through this scripture, reading all of the Bible, and just comprehending the love of God, His holiness, His purity, His goodness, the first thing is to worship to be driven to our knees should be our response. This is a holy, glorious, righteous God. And thank you, God, that you are that God and not a demanding, harsh, cruel, unforgiving God. You ever think about that? What a horrible life it would be to live under a God like that. Driven to, to worship, we need to do that. Secondly, God forgive us of our sins. Ask pardon. When we see how pure you are, how holy, how righteous, how good, forgive us. Forgive us for what we've done and what we don't do. And the third thing, Will you be our God? When we see the, the goodness of God, we say, I want you to be my God. I want to serve you. Because you forgive. And you love. And you're patient. You're kind. I want to serve you. Moses saw the glory of God, heard the name of the Lord proclaimed, gave him insight, 
into the great I am who I am. Maybe this will help us to comprehend. We, we use Romans 3.23. I've got that there to wrap up. To comprehend this verse a little bit better. Where it says, some of you know it by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe now we can grasp that a little bit better. That's the glory of God. <coughs> Bounding in loving kindness. Faithfulness, compassion, that's the real glory of God and why we fall short of it. Perhaps you've heard something this morning from the Word of God about God and His glory, this God we serve, and you'd like to serve Him. He provides forgiveness through Jesus, His Son, you know, that in that day, you know, the Christ was not mentioned at that point, but the thought would be that that was coming. That was coming because he says, I forgive transgression, iniquity, and sin. And that only happens through Christ Jesus. If you're ready to give your life to Christ Jesus this morning and serve this wonderful God, this God of all goodness, we can assist you with that. If you're a Christian and you've had the wrong picture of God in your mind, Please change. Please, please go home and read this over again and again. And fix in your mind this picture of God as he declares himself to Moses and to us. He's say, really saying, this is who I am. If you want prayer this morning for any reason, we're here to assist you. So our brother Jim lead, leads us. Please come while we stand and sing.